welcome to Overcoming, the podcast to support you in your healing, growth, and overcoming journey. My name is Taylor, I am your host, and I'm here to support you through tools, resources, and also shared lived experiences to inspire you to take back your life regardless of life's messiness. I am also a doctor of occupational therapy, certified trauma professional, and survivor who's been healing for years to remind you that anything is possible. Before we get started, I want to remind you that there is a trigger warning present throughout this entire podcast just due to the heavy nature of trauma and also shared stories from our guests. Additionally, this is for educational purposes only. Make sure that you are checking out and going to see your medical providers and psychology professionals for individualized advice. Again, take care of yourself. If you need crisis resources, they are on my website. You can also contact the emergency services. And now that all of that is out of the way, I invite you to take some deep breaths, ground yourself, and join me in this overcoming journey. Hi, everyone. And welcome back to Overcoming the Podcast. Today, I am joined with Abigail, and we are going to talk a little bit about her own overcoming journey and some tools that you all can use to support yourself based on what she does in her own journey. So I'm going to turn it over to introduce her in just a second. Um, Her and I actually connected. uh, She reached out to me and was like, hey, I, you know, I want to support you in this. I see what you're doing, and this is awesome. And she actually does things like copywriting. And so we met and we started talking and then we realized that, oh my gosh, we have some things in common and we've connected over like marketing stuff and things like that. But also I was like, you know, I want her to get on and share this story because I think it'll be really important. Um, And one of the main things that we are going to go into is being able to understand overcoming of trauma without a specific diagnosis. So I'm really interested to hear all about this for you. And I'm going to turn it on over to her to say hi. Hey, thanks for having me, Taylor. So yeah, I mean, I don't know why I thought of it immediately when you suggested the podcast, but it just seemed like such an important topic that I've really never really seen talked about, right? You see people saying, talking about trauma you see people talking about a diagnosis of PTSD so I'll just tell share a little bit about my story um I was raised in like a super controlling abusive and neglectful environment if that's all possible at the same time which it is yes Um, it is (laughs) been there yeah yeah exactly Mm -hmm. so I was actually homeschooled as a means of control I had very little access to anyone in the outside world for the first 16 years of my life Mm -hmm. um yeah, my my family was also very religious, which is often, you know, used as one of the tools in that kind of control abuse situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's how I grew up. It was it was pretty bad. There was a lot of physical violence, but there was also just a lot of like manipulation and you know criticism and you know I there was very little praise it was all came down to like what you knew if you knew enough like of the religious studies that was where our like self-worth came from the little Mm. bit of it right so it was definitely um it was definitely a journey I didn't even know that it wasn't normal like I had an idea that other kids had a life better than me um I remember noticing that like you know like oh they you know get sweets because their parents love them it's not earned or like 
you know, mm-hmm. they can go outside and play and it's not like, you know, after school and it wasn't like something that had to be granted permission for. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so I kind of knew those things, but because of how insulated we were, I, I couldn't really put my finger on it. I didn't really know what abuse was. There was nobody to notice this kind of stuff, uh, like a teacher yeah. or anything. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it was, um, it was definitely interesting. I, I finally left home at 17. I was almost 18. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I left, we were in Canada at the time I moved to the U S for a brief time. I tried to stay with my grandparents in Chicago, which did not work out. And this is where you start to realize that trauma and abuse is generational. So maybe it's not yeah. as severe in a certain generation, but it wasn't a good place to recover <laughs> from that yeah. childhood. I very yeah. much understand that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, I, uh, I ended up basically on my own at 18. I was in college. I was paying my way. Mm -hmm. I, um, I was paying all my living expenses. I got grants and stuff, but like all of this, I was working my way through. Um, and you know, it was, it was pretty good. It wasn't, I, I tried to start doing some healing. I did some, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is, I feel like first line of defense, for a lot of people it's like that classic place you end up if you're trying to heal um and I found it helpful um but only to an extent meaning the 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 struggles I really truly have and I only really know this now are not they're not truly behavioral in that sense Mm -hmm. there isn't like a behavior that's you know very self-sabotaging that needs to be fixed right now needs to be changed right now for me to you know have a better life. It's, it's a very surface approach. Um, but it was very accessible because CBT is accessible. So I did that for a bit. And, um, and then I, you know, I had, there were a few more traumas. I I got married and divorced, which was, you know, brief, but traumatic Mm -hmm. and doing that alone without family or, you know, really any support was extra hard. Um, and then, you know, more recently, like I'm, I'm very lucky I'm in a loving relationship, but uh, my, I have two children who were diagnosed with anaphylactic food allergies, which was its own level of trauma, yeah. you know, seeing them at risk, watching them go into anaphylaxis, having to administer EpiPen, not having an EpiPen the first time it happened, even though I knew it was going on. Yeah. So, so there's a lot there and I, you know, I started to notice really that I'm sure the truth is I'm not sure of anything, right? I'm a diagnosis is a very Mm -hmm. kind of, (laughs) it's not a complete picture basically. Yeah. Um, and you know, I've thought about it. Would it be helpful to get diagnosed? You know, like, do I have a diagnosis of PTSD? Is there a diagnosis of anxiety? Maybe, Mm -hmm. um, there are some things that seem, and I studied psychology, (laughs) in college but obviously just a bachelor's degree so I cannot diagnose myself in any way um and nor should I even if I had a PhD but um yeah it's a dangerous game (laughs) you know too much at some point you're like oh I do this I do that it's like no no. someone objective look at you yeah I I can throw the DSM at my face it might stick (laughs) yep definitely so you know and oh my god don't even get me into trying to diagnose family members because we've all been there (laughs) Mm -hmm. um but I think you know I, my life right now is at a point where whatever I've been through doesn't seem to affect me 
it doesn't seem to affect my function on a daily basis. In fact, it never has somehow by some mm-hmm. miracle. I never had a situation where like, I just couldn't get up and go to work or I couldn't take yeah. care of my kids. I felt down. I felt sad. I've had, you know, a lot of feelings around, you know, the parental trauma. Um, but it's never seemed to affect my life in the day to day, which is really why I never was prompted to seek a diagnosis. But on mm-hmm. the other hand, and this is kind of where I've noticed things is when people who've been through similar things talk about trauma as a diagnosis with PTSD or talk about anxiety and depression, it almost feels like a club. And you're like, mm, yeah, am I, am I there? Am I not there? Do I relate to you? You mm. know, like almost like it's a rite of passage, which seems so exclusionary, but also preventing mm. people from getting help. Like, yeah. Oh, well, I don't have a diagnosis of trauma. I don't have $2,000 to spend on psychiatry right now. So, mm-hmm. so either I don't have trauma and then I ignore it or, or, um, you know, there's no healing for me. There's no like, right. There's no path yeah. for me. Like what path do I take? Right. So that's, those are a lot of thoughts that, you know, I've kind of gone through and yet yeah, that's the short and the very long of it. Um, that's totally fine. I mean, yeah. I'm literally like, I, I tell all my guests, I'm like, this is you led wherever you take it. I will follow. <laughs> um, okay. So you brought up some really good points that I want to highlight. First of all, was that part of your abuse and your trauma was that you were extremely isolated. And I think that is so important to note because that is part of the cycle of, of abuse. Right. And so I'm sure that that is part of the reason why it took you so long to recognize that, you know, what happened is traumatic. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I very similarly, like people in my life are confidently wrong and, you know, for them, it's their in denial that anything ever happened. Even recently it told me that things that I went through shouldn't be traumatic and aren't traumatic. And what are you talking about? They weren't that bad. And so, you know, when you're stuck in that bubble, it makes you question yourself. It makes you be like, am I really the problem here? Is it, you know, am I really the one causing this? Am I seeing this wrong? Like whatever it is. And I think for me, when you're talking about the diagnosis, I agree that it's not necessary for quality of life or moving forward or anything like that. To me, it was validation Mm -hmm. because there was so much gaslighting and so much denial and people's own coping mechanisms that they don't even see that, you know, I'm again, labeled the problem. And I've been told that I am worse since I've started healing, which is amazing to me because I'm not people pleasing. Right. Right. And I'm telling them that, Hey, this is hurtful or, Hey, you need to not do this or setting boundaries. And so when I speak to my therapist and she goes, yeah, that's complex trauma. Yeah. That person you're talking to, they have this diagnosis with all of the things you're saying, they have this problem here. It is the external validation that, that makes sense. And once I actually had, I mean, cause you can suspect all you want. Um, and it's not necessary to healing by any means. Like I did a lot of stuff without having a diagnosis for me, it was like, okay, I do, I fit in here and you're right. It can feel exclusive. Like it's like a club and especially online, we get into, well, I have this diagnosis. I have this. And I think there's so much more, I mean, we're all healing. So there's going to be toxicity in the online space. There just is, you know, and especially when I think for trauma survivors, especially we're all looking for validation. We're all looking to be included somewhere, especially with developmental trauma. 
So sometimes it doesn't always come off the best way. And I don't think it's intentional for a lot of people, but I think it's, Ooh, this, 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 I just want to fit in here. I just, you know what I mean? It's like, I want to feel understood and heard and validated. And like, those are our deep, deep needs. Right. And so that can come in. Well, I have this diagnosis, so I'm valid here. My problems are valid here. When the real thing is you're valid, regardless of your diagnosis. And, you know, it's based on the individual person. If they want to pursue anything, it is, um, you know, and for some people, if you believe in medication, like if there are certain things that would support you, like borderline personality disorder is common with significant trauma and there's some things. And again, I don't know all of the medical stuff, just like some of the researchy stuff. ADHD is another one that's common anxiety, depression, all of those on top of PTSD Those are very common diagnoses in congruence with trauma. And if any of those would help you in getting medication, then that's when it can be helpful. But like you said, functionally, it's, it's bare, it's not really impacting you day to day. So at this point, do you need to have a label that says this happened? This is what is, you know, happening with me. This is my validity. No, because you've already said, I know what's happened and, you know, I'm moving forward and. I'm recognizing and healing and growing on my own too. And I love what you said also about CBT as that. So for people who don't know cognitive behavioral therapy, it's a lot of, it's just talk therapy, right? It's a lot of like assessing patterns, looking at your behavior, seeing what's harmful, seeing what needs to change. Like it's like step-by-step goal setting kind of, and looking Mm -hmm. at yourself. However, for some people that isn't as beneficial, because like you said, it's not a behavior, it's you know, it's like, it's not like I'm actively doing something and I could tell myself all I want to stop doing this, but that's not going to change it. Like, okay. You know, so there's, there's different levels. It does not tra- change how you feel. And no. I mean, that's what it's interesting. Cause you hit on something so powerful where you said that like specifically people who had that trauma, especially in early developmental years, right. Mm-hmm. That attachment, right. Like the adverse childhood experiences, that belonging need is so powerful yeah. and so unfulfilled that I almost doubt it will ever be resolved. Yes. It's like, I, it's just, it's so interesting. Like, I think ex- accepting that about myself has been one of the hardest things and I'm still not there, right? Like accepting I'm going to want to belong. I will never feel yes. that need satisfied and I'm going to be okay with that. Like, no matter what, I'm going to mm-hmm. be okay even if this need does not feel completely satisfied. And I know there are some tools you can do and like inner child healing and being there for yourself. Honestly, like I personally, I call bullshit. There are some Mm -hmm. things you will never have. So like, I, I really, if you are born without an arm, you will never have a truly functional arm. And that is like, that's hard. And you can think it's unfair, but it's also just the truth. Like, Mm -hmm it's just a condition of your existence as a person. Mm-hmm. And I really think that sometimes chasing a healing or chasing a feeling that can never be fulfilled can be extremely exhausting, right? Like, yes, right. Cause you're just going to keep looking. And I think for me, recognizing like this need is there, it wasn't fulfilled and it can never be fully replaced and my life will be okay anyway, was just like yeah. so powerful. Um, the other thing you were saying about validation, which is just so interesting. This is actually where I think a big difference between like physical abuse and emotional abuse can really be highlighted. So mm-hmm. for me, like 
I remember reading bits of like a book when I first left home. Like I think I read it was called a child a child called it or something. Mm-hmm. It's extremely traumatic, right? Yeah. And but you know, having I, us the, read that in elementary school. I was like, what? What? Yeah, that was one no. of the books you could check out. Yeah. I remember I learned about it in third grade. Mm-hmm. That is not okay. Yeah. I mean, it was really yeah, yeah I know. Yeah. It was yeah. it was intense. I would have nineties. It it's all different back then. <laughs> <laughs> I, know. I know, right? So much. Yeah. Um but yeah, so I, I think uh, I've read bits of that. And I think he also wrote a book called The Lost Boy. Mm-hmm. And I um, and I was like, oh, okay, this is my life. Got it. Like, it fits, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that I got my validation from very clearly knowing this was not okay. Like, there was yes. nothing that was going to justify it. I read Educated later on when it came out. And um, in some ways, I was like, wow, her life was better than mine. Okay, cool. Like, I know, mm. <laughs> right? Like, so I feel like I got, um, yeah, because one of the things I really noticed is that she wasn't supported, but she left and wasn't chased down. This is Tara Westover. And did you read the book? I did not. Um, it's, it's a worthwhile read for anyone reading, but she, she grows up, um, you know, very religious, uh, like Mormon, I think, in like Utah. And mm-hmm. it's a very neglectful childhood and no real education. But as soon as she like, signs up for a play club or signs up for school or whatever the parents don't chase her down or stop her mm-hmm. it's just like you're making the choice we're not going to support we're not going to help but that's yeah. a choice you're making yeah. and that was something I did not have like I could not get out no matter what I tried yeah. so so yeah so I think I got a lot of my validation from just like listening to other survivors hearing stories and being like okay this is clearly wrong yes. where there's where there's just emotional abuse and I say just but I don't mean just I know it can be as significant, but it can be very hard to quantify. Right. Because like, Uh, there's no physical scars. There was no like, okay, my parents broke the law. Like this is the kind of stuff that nobody can help with. Right. If there's a child right now going through emotional abuse, it's very hard to get them help. Well, and even the parents, the parents are even saying, I didn't hurt you. You weren't hit. You weren't, you know what I mean? And yeah. like, and they may not even recognize it as emotional abuse. Cause like you said, generational trauma, like they don't even yeah. understand. Um, and so, you know, it's, I've recently had a conversation where it was that, um, you know, there were emotional wounds in your child. It's like, but you should be over that. It's, you know, it's, it shouldn't be as damaging as it is. You didn't get right. beat. You didn't get, and I'm like, um, okay. And like, you know, I suppose I lived in a house with an overt narcissist, a very controlling, manipulative narcissist. That that's not a thing. Then that's, they're not that like, you know what I mean? But it's like textbook, everything. And so it's, you know, a lot of people have a hard time seeing emotional abuse as abuse. Yeah. And especially like, it's very hard to, from people who are around it. Like there are enablers in abuse dynamics that again, don't even recognize that they're being enablers because it's, it's all they've known. It's all they've ever, you know, it seems normal to them. And, you know, think about you when you were younger, you kind of knew something was up, but it kind of like, you were told like it was normal. Like it was you know, like, eh, whatever. Yeah, I really couldn't put, I couldn't put my finger. Like all I thought yeah. was that like, maybe I thought I didn't like my life mm-hmm. and I want, I wished I was another kid in another home, but yeah. I didn't realize that like, I really didn't realize that you could go to the police and they would be like, well, that's not okay. Right. Like I had no, it's amazing how little of an understanding and an awareness you have, even as like, as a teenager, right. My father was, was, um, eventually apprehended. Literally my brother would just, he was so, this is also where 
abusers get so confident. My father would send my brother out with a black eye with like, like again and again, eventually someone from like reported it to like welfare services and someone came talked to my brother they took him away my father was arrested mm -hmm. and even then at, this is also very common I was 16 years old and I lied to the police straight up yeah. right like yep. I denied everything yep. and you know it shocks me now but I'm I'm really not shocked you know what like that's the crazy thing I've it's the level really, of control they had over you and that the yeah. mind games and the yeah been there yeah it was there. it was very um you know it's interesting looking back it's almost like I wish I had a do-over just for the mm -hmm. you know the sense of self and obviously like I've since yeah. you know severed all contact and um but it almost felt like yeah like if I have any regrets it's like I had that opportunity to validate what was going on and I didn't do it mm -hmm. um of course, like, I'm, I don't feel bad about it, but it's still, it's just one of those things that will forever stick with me and also just yeah. make me realize how serious <laughs> child abuse and, you know, control and manipulation truly is. It, it yes. can literally, it can change how you think forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is, it's not just a, do yeah. you just get over it thing? It's not, you no. know, and, you know, I was thinking of when you're saying that too, going back to the thing you said about like inner child and healing, like I call bullshit. It's like, yes, in a way I agree with you because it's like, there is one, you know, that thing in exactly that way is not going to be restored. It's just not, there is nothing you can do to go back to that childhood to fix the way they acted to anything. There's nothing they can say now that can change it. You know what I mean? Even if they admitted to everything, even if they were committed to healing things, which most aren't and you know, moving forward, you have to know and be okay with that's just not going to happen for me. I've made peace with my relationship with my mother. If, if I can, you know, have one throughout my life is not going to be a source of emotional fulfillment for me. Mm -hmm. It's a transactional thing. That's how she sees things. That's the only way it works. And, you know, when I look for more is when there becomes problems. Right. And so mm -hmm. I have to know that I have to get that emotional fulfillment elsewhere. Right. Yeah. And, and that can you know, be hard because that's hard. Heart that's always going to crave that. Exactly. And it's okay to accept yes. it. Yes. But you do have to, there are at some points in your healing, you do have to accept sometimes things are the way they are. And I know, you know, I relate so much like in the way that you were lying to cops, like you were protecting your parents, right? Like protecting everything. And the one thing that I have I don't even know if with, I was protecting your my parents, what you said. I was protecting everything. Yeah. It's almost like the way it was status quo mm -hmm. felt safer because it was completely all I knew. That's mm -hmm. what I think it was. It's mm -hmm. I don't think I had sympathy for my father in that moment. Mm -hmm. It was I was just so fucking scared. Yeah. Probably. And didn't want things to change and not knowing what that's going to be. Exactly. The unknown was yeah. worse. Yeah. That, that's totally fair. And, you know, I think for me, it was, I protected and I idealized what was there. Um, you know, Eve, but it took me a while. Like it took me until 15 and a half when I was told something happened where they reported me for something called a hotline saying, talk to my teen. She's having issues. And I recounted events to them of that night. And they said, you need to go to your school and report this. And I was like, huh? Mm -hmm. And that's the first time I even reported. So it had nothing to do with me seeking out support. It's just all we knew. Right. And yeah. so, um, you know, I would find myself as well, just kind of being like, oh no, it's not as bad as it is like whatever. And I did find myself protecting what was there, protecting the family in some sort, but it, it took me into my adult years, recognizing that 
they didn't protect me in the same way that I would have given up everything for them. And they just didn't. And I don't know if they knew how to, again, I don't even know if they realized how wrong things were. Does that excuse it? No. Um, still definitely don't, you know, and it's, at that point, it's like, you can sit there and you can talk to them and you think that maybe it'll get through. And that's just a game that just leads to disappointment and hurt. And at some point you just have to be like, I'm not changing your mind. And you have to decide what to do with the relationship. I'm not saying that healing isn't possible, but people have to be actively willing to work on things. And that includes looking at your own stuff. The relationship, the way you're described being managing these kind of relationships and setting expectations for yourself is kind of what I have now with grandparents Mm, where it's like I'm not going to convince them (laughs) of the importance of emotional support Mm -hmm. or like empathy like if I want a relationship with them it's going to be like wishing them happy holidays and you know sending them pictures of my kids and just having a surface you know like that's what it's going to be. It's either going to be that or nothing. I'm not going to change the mind of someone who's almost 80. Mm-hmm. Like, no. With all their patterns and all their stuff. Own mind. And, yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so it was really like, it's accepting exactly what that's going to look like with each grandparent, with each aunt and uncle, you know, where they are at, what kind of relationship I can mm-hmm. and want to have with them. Yeah. And, and that's it. And it's, you know, it's hard because a lot of us more than anything, just crave big, happy family. And like I said, that's something we might never get. We might be lucky and, you know, find a partner that has that. Um, Mm -hmm. In my case, that was only somewhat true. So my in-laws are incredible, but they're very elderly Mm -hmm. and uh, they're just not there. And there's, there's no like really siblings or cousins or anything. So Mm -hmm. I kind of, I I almost grieve, um, (laughs) for my kids, even though I think they're okay, I grieve for my kids that they're not going to have like growing up with cousins and all of that. Yeah. Um, which is just interesting because that, and I wonder if it's really as important as I make it seem because that was the one good part of my childhood, but maybe Mm. when your parents (laughs) are good parents and your family is loving, maybe cousins is not as important. It's just really interesting. The lens through which we see things. Yeah. Um, and you know, we're doing it differently for our kids, but we're still so impacted by how we were raised and yeah. And I'm sure, you know, being a parent brings up everything. It's like, you want in those moments, like I've heard the saying that like, when you are someone who was abused in childhood, you either continue the cycle or you do the exact opposite as much as possible, but there can be an overcorrection there if we're not careful and projecting our inner child's needs onto our child's, right? And so, and sometimes that's where trauma starts. If we aren't self-aware enough to be like, okay, when we start being like, your life needs to be this. And we start trying to direct the way we want our children's lives to go and not listening to them. I've heard that from other trauma survivors as well, who are parents, that that is something that's been challenging for them is recognizing what's your needs that weren't met versus what they actually need. And, um, I'm sure that's going to be me. It's interesting. My biggest struggle for my kids is not that Mm -hmm. not trying to, I'm actually very okay with them picking their own life path. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it will look like yet. They're still quite young. They're, they're two and turning five. My, my biggest struggle is actually those moments of, um, 
I guess when they're, you know, the quote unquote, not listening to me. Right. Mm -hmm. Especially when they're putting themselves in physical danger. Right. And I'm, I honestly, I I think it's just those first few years is you're just so worried that they're going to hurt themselves and you're trying to keep them from that in whichever Mm -hmm. way hurt themselves, hurt each other. That I always wonder if I'm doing it right. You know, like, Mm. Like there's yeah. no right way to do it, right? Like True. at the end of the day, they're always going to end up on the floor in a tantrum. <laughs> yeah, right. That's, and that just happens, and we I have to know that. I didn't let them run outside. I didn't let them hang on the oven door. Like wow, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, there's definitely that kind of of struggle, and I'm curious to see how things will play out when they're teenagers. I think it's always just going to be around protection. Mm-hmm. My biggest concerns are their safety. And, yes. you know, with, with food allergies, there's an extra layer of that, of, of, you know, you can't let them make their own mistakes in the same way yeah, because it's, it's very fatal. So I think that's going to be my biggest issue is balancing my need to keep them alive mm-hmm. <laughs> and healthy with their need to make mistakes and finding ways to, to let that play out without, like you said, holding too tight. Hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's really valid. And I'm sure that there are many parents out here listening that resonate with that, that, yeah. you know, safety and protection. And like, those are such high values, especially when you didn't get that right. Yeah. You only, you always want better for your kids. Right. Yeah. And so, well, most, <laughs> most, cause there are some, but <laughs> most humans, you want better for your kids, you care for your kids, you know? And so having to deal with these things where you are having to be more on guard, I'm sure your stress responses are more towards the front because everything happened. Like you said, like physical safety. Right. And so, you know, it makes a lot of sense where that protective nature would come in. And I feel like there are probably other parents out there, even with different things that that protection is still there. Right. I mean, as trauma survivors in general, a lot of us are hypervigilant. Mm-hmm. And that isn't saying that like you with your kids is, it's just saying that in general, that's our tendency. Yeah. And so when there is a serious threat, it makes sense that you just want to consistently be in control. And it's because kids don't know yet. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that's really important to recognize too, is just you know, being self-aware as a parent, just in general. And like you said, like knowing that protection and seeing like balance and giving yourself grace. Yes. In in all areas. Yeah. One of the things I, I practice with my kids is I actually just apologize. Um, mm, that's it's so something powerful. my parents never did. No. Right? Yeah. That's and, powerful. and I'm not going to lie. It's actually hard. It, it really is hard to do mm-hmm. it. Um, I don't know if there's a part of you that wants, you know, wants your kids to view you as not fallible Mm -hmm. or, you know, but I literally, I'll, if I yell and I know I scared them, that's Mm -hmm. the one thing that I struggle with. I will walk over to him afterwards and say, I'm sorry. I yelled. I was scared that you would get hurt Mm -hmm. or something like that. Or even I'm sorry. I yelled. You were, um, you and your brother were very loud. And, you know, I got, you know, overwhelmed or whatever. Like I'll, I'll kind of call it out what happened Yeah. and I love you. And it's, it's so interesting because you see instantly they actually get it. Like mm-hmm. 
they get like mommy made a mistake but like we all make mistakes Mm -hmm. and she loves me anyway and Mm -hmm. I think that it's so powerful just being able to approach your child and this is mostly with my my almost five-year-old I really see it makes a difference like yeah like we both feel better afterwards and it really releases that it releases the stress of that moment. I'm not saying it's always the answer. Like you can't just mess up and apologize after well, yeah. kids every time, but yeah. you're going to mess up. And the apology is a meaningful tool. Yeah. And you're modeling emotional intelligence right there. And yeah. you're not, you're saying you're recognizing to them, like you're helping them with their own awareness. Like you're right. That was not okay. Right. Yeah. I recognize I made a mistake. And, you know, I am sorry and nothing is making up for that, but I want you to understand this is what happened. And you're kind of telling your kids in that moment, like, if you ever make a mistake, I still love you. Mm -hmm. It's okay. You know, and it's, you're not saying that directly, but through your actions, you are. And like you said, they notice, they understand. Right. And I'm sure there's probably that sense of relief because I, like you did not have that. Right. I can't think of an, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Never one. I think there was one and it was a very glaring thing. And, um, had nothing to do emotionally. It was like a physical thing, I think, but anyways, it was the same. I could think of one specific situation, but yeah, but, but the, where it mattered, there will never be an admission of guilt or responsibility or Mm -mm. any of that. Mm -mm. And that's, that's a really hard thing to come to terms with. And that is something that I'm still coming to terms with. And, you know, I think a lot of people struggle with, especially when you're looking at, you know, that those adverse childhood experiences, right. Like that, that is hard. And, you know, when there's generational trauma that the people are in denial or, you know, it's just how it's always been, or, you know, certain generations are just not as open-minded or, you know, it's, it's a generational thing. Your younger generations are just labeling everything as trauma, like, uh, you know, and there's only so much you can do Yeah. and there's only so much you can control. And I think at that point, when you're talking about like moving forward and recognizing that you know, there was, there's only so much you can do and seeking this healing or seeking this thing, like, you know, very unhealthily. And when I was 21, I jumped into a long-term relationship quickly because they had a great family and I didn't recognize Mm -hmm. I was doing it. I didn't recognize it, you know? And then I was like, Oh, that was really not okay. And it put me in a really bad situation. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so (laughs) I I took it a little far. (laughs) Should have just been a boyfriend there, but yeah, <laughs> I moved in with mine in like six months. So okay, it, yeah. so so close, right? That's mm-hmm. Luckily, it didn't. But I was talking about marriage already at that point. So you know, it's yeah. just we have to recognize our own stuff and what we can control and what we bring to it. So we will have different wounds and different things that we are trying to reenact and solve from our childhood as adults. We're trying to get those needs met, right? And there's so many things subconsciously that we do but we have to be able to focus on what we can control. And while I would love to sit there and educate everyone and tell them why this is wrong and blah, 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 blah. And I sometimes do try in, in small ways when they, when they come to me and say, well, this is wrong. And I'm like, well, no, actually, you know? And so, but I've recognized that it's just not received. And at some point you got to be like, no, I, I know me. I know my truth. I understand things. And the only thing I can control is me, my behaviors, who I keep around my environment, all of my actions, my healing, like all of that stuff. That's what I can control. And when I focus on that, that's when I can find fulfillment for these needs that I'm not getting in different ways, because I find it in myself. Yeah. Right. It's not going to be the same, 
but you, I have found that you can still love yourself. You can still feel fulfilled and there can still be an empty space. Yeah. I, like I said, if you're missing an arm, you might be able to paint beautifully with the other arm or with your feet, but the arm is still missing. Yeah. That's okay to acknowledge. You don't have to pretend, right? You would never ask someone with a physical disability to pretend otherwise, right? Mm -hmm. Like don't make people uncomfortable about the fact that your arm is missing, right? Like, yeah, no, right. My childhood is missing. It's a truth. I don't have to talk about it endlessly. I don't have to, you know, make it the only thing that I'm interested in talking about or sharing. Mm -hmm. It's not the only thing that's true about me, right? It doesn't define me, but it still is a truth about my life. My childhood did not exist. Yeah. That happened. That's okay. Like, it's not okay that it happened, but I am okay with the fact that it happened. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think that's really like, to me, that seemed like a really big recognition within myself, even as I do focus on self-love and self-compassion and healing Mm -hmm. and being there for myself was just recognizing the gap and being okay with it like any other gap in our life. Yeah. And you said there, it, it happened. I can't change it. It's there. And, you know, I agree. I think acceptance is hard and especially people early on and understanding their healing and what has happened. That is one of the hardest things to get to. Right. And it may take a long time in your healing journey to get there. So if you're not there, don't be upset. There's no shame in it. Just know eventually it is a step. It is, you know, and it, I think it's an important one. And I agree that it's not all of who I am. Like heck I have a podcast and I have a page and I help trauma professionals, but it's not all of me. Right. And yes, my purpose. And like a lot of this stuff is within this for me. However, there's stuff about me that has nothing to do with that. Like your and musicals and exactly. your amazing singing voice. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. You know what I mean? It's just like, yeah. when I'm with my friends, I'm not always like, okay, let's unpack my trauma. It's like, no, we're hanging out. We're getting caught. It's the daily life stuff. Like it doesn't have to be a deep discussion every time. You know what I mean? And so and, while and I, if, I love deep I conversations, like if, but I was going to you know. say, if people are listening, like it's okay. If you're at a stage right now, we're having these conversations is also important to you, right? Yes. Like there might be a stage where a lot of will come down, right? If you're making a new recognition or discovery, or you're mm-hmm. unpacking something, you might end up talking about it a lot with your friends, just how if your friend is going through a divorce, a lot of the conversations are going to land there, right? Like yeah. no matter where you start up your brunch, like this is where it's going. Right. Yeah. So, so it's okay to recognize that, you know, it also take more of a center stage at different points in your life yes. or, you know, different, right. If you might end up talking about it a lot and that is okay too, mm-hmm. but it's I definitely did at first. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. It's that those first moments, like it, it's, <laughs> it's cathartic, right? You, you Mm -hmm. have a whole, like you might be decades, right. Of trauma. Mm -hmm. And, and it's something that, that does need to get expressed in some way. And sometimes that might be sharing it with other people. Um, but yeah, it won't, it won't be that way forever. It doesn't define you. And if you, and and listen to yourself, right? Like, Mm -hmm. do you feel better after those conversations or worse? Was it truly cathartic or was it dwelling? Right? Like, yes is this the right person to bring it up with or is it not right like Mm -hmm. those are those are things you'll discover along the way like you can have really good friendships that just don't 
cover certain areas of your life and that's okay right like they mm-hmm. might not be the deepest soul friend in the world but yep um but you can have different kinds of relationships and that's something like not everyone has to be and this yes. is I think I think it goes back again to that deep need for belonging and seeking and trying to replace something we might often be trying to replace a parent right or a sibling um mm-hmm. or like that deep close connection that someone that we thought should be there for all of us but that might not happen for a while you might find that in a yeah. partner you might find that in a friend but it might not be right away there might not be someone who's you know, there will never again be someone whose role in life is to embrace you as fully as a parent should. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, all of you. Yeah. And like, I really, like, I feel like we're repeating the same thing we said earlier, but in a different way, right? Like mm-hmm. you'll often notice that in your other relationships, just friendships, right? Like yeah. being honest with yourself about, are you trying to replace something? Can this really be replaced? again mm-hmm. and again, you might keep asking those questions of yourself and, yeah. and you might keep mourning the loss for a long time. Oh yeah. I mean, it's ebbs and flows of healing, right? Sometimes there's like more awareness, more recognition, like, you know, even I've been, gosh, I've been healing for like a decade and heavily, heavily the last like two, three years. Right. And so I feel like from where I was three years ago to now is a completely different person just because of the level of healing that I'm at in my life and the way I've set up my life. However, I still, even a few days ago had a huge realization that shook me to my core about my past. And it, it really made me look at everything differently, who I trusted, what I saw, recognizing that I was getting fed narratives that were not true strategically to keep me away from certain things. Like, and so it really just blew my life open. Wow. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have been sitting here and it's like, you know, who can you trust? What can you? And so it's not going to say that no matter the time has passed that you're not going to figure things out. Sometimes even deaths in the family or when the people who are finally dead, like other people come out saying, Hey, by the way, this was a thing. This was a thing, you know, like big life events can bring out more people sharing things. Mm -hmm. Um, things in the news can come out. And so there's going to be consistent realizations and consistent understanding and healing and growing and grieving. And, you know, it's like this, this death to the old you and rebirth of the new kind of, but it's still you. And I think that's true to everyone. Maybe it's extra, um, abrupt or or you know kind of I'm missing the word right now but it's it can be more impactful to trauma survivors but I Mm -hmm. really think that as I grow older I really see this being true for humanity right like that we're not the same person forever Mm -mm. we're not meant to be the same person things can and will change yeah and that's that's literally the human condition and I think accepting that too like seeing and this is this might be controversial but it's almost another reason why you know seeking a trauma diagnosis was not so important to me is I started to see you know and maybe it's a little bit different because your childhood should feel secure but I started to see like the world in general right and I'm saying like outside North America right Mm -hmm. outside the top 10 percent um it's it really is not idealistic. <laughs> it's not yeah. pretty or beautiful or, I mean, it's beautiful in its own way, but it doesn't have, um, it doesn't have any sense of like 
stability. There is no, like entropy is actually the condition, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that recognizing that and just to bring it home in like a funny little point, I I used to watch TV shows like, um, like Grey's Anatomy, right? Okay, like these dramatic, kind of like soap opera like style shows yep. and I used to think like this is not possible right like you're not going to get in a car accident and then your sister's in a plane accident and then like your your husband dies and everybody has cancer like and then like you actually realize that it is true and yes while it feels a little like hyper condensed Mm-hmm. When you're watching it on television because they're putting weeks into a single hour and that's maybe yeah. why it happens like reality check almost 50 percent of people are going to get cancer reality check loss happens tragic horrible loss happens yeah. and this is why well I think that one way we're handling it in North America might be a diagnosis medication talk therapy, you know, different kinds of support. I mean, ancient cultures have handled it in a million different ways. Mm-hmm. For some people, it's religion. For some people, it's community. For some people, it's friendship. For some people, it's, you know, movement. And you can pick one of those things. You can pick all of those things. You can pick whatever you're called to on your journey. Mm-hmm. But just recognizing that, like, we can look at the human condition as traumatic. And it is, in a sense, <laughs> But we can also look at it as just what is in our experience and recognizing that. And that kind of brings us, I know we're going to talk a little bit about tools, but Mm -hmm. um, that's perfect. Yeah, I'll I'll segue into it. I mean, a big tool for my journey has been mindfulness, like a a mindfulness practice. Um, One of the things that happened a couple of years ago is I kind of stepped away from my religion. So I was raised, like I said, extremely ultra Orthodox Jewish, um, very strict religious observance um I know that might be very foreign to a lot of people listening to the podcast choose a tiny minority but I mean religious practice is you know it's almost stricter and more specific in details than even the most religious Christian home Mm -hmm. um there are rules about what you dress how you you know you say blessings before you eat your food you pray three times a day like it is it's strict Mm-hmm. And it's detail oriented. And I don't have anything against the religion itself. I know a lot of people are extremely happy and, you know, good with themselves and with others. Um, I have a brother who's still, you know, ultra observant. All my brothers are, in fact, but the one I'm in touch with um, is very religious and very welcoming of me and like literally has not brought up anything about my religious observance in in seven years like (laughs) he Mm -hmm. yeah ever since he became an adult and I think had that realization about like not trying to change people yeah you know there's there's no um he has no no issue at least (laughs) at least with me he doesn't express it um but what happened is I fully let go of this religion about two years ago um kind of got to the place where I was like even the idea of God that I was taught about doesn't exist from my perspective right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and the idea of God can be very comforting, like I said, to a lot of people, and that's fine. That's totally fine. If you believe in it, it's a good thing. Yeah. Um, but for me, I kind of let go of it. And then I found myself like, almost like, oh my God, <laughs> like what now? Right. Mm-hmm. Like I just let go of this huge part of my life while I wasn't religiously observant. I still had that faith, right? And as soon as I lost that, I was like, okay, I have to find something just 
tools to help me understand meaning and purpose, right? Because otherwise yeah. it could feel very devastating. So I, I started literally just like Googling like um, a purpose without religion or something like that, you know, like what, what is there? Right. I, um, I had that little Google journey. I found um, Sam Harris. So he has a podcast called Making Sense. Um, and then from there, I found a meditation app that he has called Waking Up. And I, I did like, it was at the time, it was like a 50 day introductory course to meditation where it's like a 10 minute meditation daily. And then, and then it's a daily meditation. He has these conversations also just with different meditation teachers. It's not just him. Like he, Mm -hmm. he does the daily, but there's all these, you know, meditation teachers on the app. So I started with that and I found both his podcast making sense, although I don't listen to it much anymore. And then his, the meditation app, like super helpful and just getting me into a place where I could be okay with what is even without answers and mm. information right because I've always yeah. been an information seeker right I want details and then just sitting with what is which is really what mindfulness is um was so helpful yeah and then uh recently I discovered uh Corey Mascara and his podcast Practicing Human which I found immensely helpful um and then another person is Tara Brock uh she has a book Radical Compassion and she also has a podcast and her content is also just extremely helpful and and removed from any kind of patriarchal um, ideas that kind of existed in traditional like maybe Buddhist practice. And she she really visibly takes that out. And and you know I used to be a purist like you can't do that. You can't like either it's true or it's not right. Mm-hmm. And then and then I realized that like as humans, we've told ourselves stories forever and we've tacked a lot of stuff on, right? Stuff to make us feel okay. And that is okay. That's our process. So it's okay to listen and be, and like, be like, okay, this is the kind of stuff that resonates with me. That's my story, right? Mm -hmm. There is no universal truth. And I think accepting that was just also so instrumental. So yeah. So one of my big tools is mindfulness. Um, Another one is movement. I always feel better when I exercise, work out, whatever. Yeah. I mean, hormone wise, hormone, it, it helps our, improve our mood and things like that too. Yeah. But also you think if trauma is stored in the body, you're moving mm-hmm. that energy, right? You know what I mean? So I find that to be very helpful too. It's like, we do the same things. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> love um, it. What's your mindfulness practice like? Um, so I started off not being able to sit still at all. So I would just like walk and kind of let my mind wander, but I would like pay attention to what was coming up in my thoughts. Right. Because I think for most of my child, I dissociated. So now looking back, it's like, okay, I'm actively working to not dissociate and stay present. And that can be triggering in itself. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will just kind of do stuff. Like I will, I've started using like binaural beats which, um, you know, I just put on headphones and it's like different frequencies. And to be honest, I don't know if it's working, but to me it's like soothing, like tones. And there are certain ones that I like more. Like I know that like, I personally like it's like 528 Hertz. It's like not too high, whatever, but it's just kind of like, it goes back and forth, um, between your headphones. And it's a really comforting thing to me. And so when I have these tons of thoughts that come up, I get this more soothing. It's kind of like the, like, when you think of like, they say that you should say, um, when you're meditating, because it gives you something to focus on. It's almost like that for me. Um, but it helps me stay on track and it helps me feel calmer in my body just by having that. So I'll sit there sometimes 
five, 10 minutes. Sometimes I'm, I'm so wiggly. I can't do anything. And then I just go walk around or I sit in the bath or, you know, something that kind of helps me focus because there's always a million thoughts in there in a minute. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, part of my, I think I have ADHD thing, but, um, you know, and so for me, it's just recognizing that it's not always going to be this perfect regimented thing. Like, I love that you did this challenge. I know I could not stick to a 50 day meditation challenge. I'm not that person who can follow structure. I don't like think that. I did it 50 days in a row. It was a 50 day course. I think I probably did it over like 60, maybe 65. The fact that you finished it is impressive. I, I can't, I honestly can't believe it looking back. And yeah. um, they've since updated the app and shortened it to 30. And I wonder, sense. I mean, I'm a very competitive person and I, I was desperate for something. Right. So mm-hmm. I was like, I got to give this. I got to give this my all to, and there is no, you know, what I've learned more than anything is exactly what you're saying. There is, there's no real like meditative state. It's Mm -hmm. just noticing what is and that state of like what they call equanimity. Mm -hmm. I don't even know how to pronounce that word of just being, just being okay. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think what what we try to do is, right. We're trying to distract ourselves. We're trying to move or on the go because those thoughts can be so overwhelming it's not just about clearing them. It's about noticing them and being like, okay, this is a thought. This is a sensation. Like it is right. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. It's like, it's detaching those quick responses to, and that's why it can be so powerful for, you know, trauma healing. And just in general is it helps you in your daily life. Not when you're sitting in practice, like, recognize those feelings and emotions for what they are instead of like responding right away with maybe like fear anger danger like Mm -hmm. what that's at least that's how I find it pretty helpful but I am I haven't been 100% consistent with it I I give myself a ton of grace but it's something that I always find when I do it, it always delivers same as, as movement. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I have never once exercised and then be like, God shouldn't have done that. You know, yeah. I've eaten a whole bag of chips and felt like I shouldn't do that. No connection to guilt just because my body can't tolerate a bag of chips. Yeah. Right. So like listening to our body and being like, this always delivers. So whatever that is for you, if that's a warm bath, if that's a conversation with a friend, right. Mm-hmm. Whatever whatever delivers a hundred percent, if you know, there's something like that for you, then like that can be such a powerful tool for healing or just for management in the moment. Right. If you know that working out will always leave you feeling better, then, then take away the barriers to making that happen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, exactly what you were saying with, you know, meditation for you, it's awareness. Right. And like we talk about on this podcast too, like self-awareness is one of those important pillars in my opinion in healing. Right. And so whether that is meditation, and I will say a disclaimer with this too, is that sometimes meditation can be more triggering for people. There was states in my life where I was not able to, and I couldn't even think of try and stay present, whatever, because it would make things harder. And that was after my assault. And, um, you know, and so recognizing like people who are interested in this stuff, look up like trauma, sensitive yoga, trauma, sensitive meditation, there's stuff like that out there. I'll see if I can pull some resources for this episode when it launches. Um, but just knowing that there are ways to do it that doesn't feel as triggering and it, 
it's helpful at first to have like the structure, but also the freedom, right? The autonomy to be like, okay, this is what's happening in my body. This is how I'm going to approach this. Whether or not you want to close your eyes, whether or not you want to be sitting still or walking or whatever it is, because the healing is getting back into you and recognizing that you have the power over your own life and gaining control over your stuff. Right. And so creating that felt safety within you. And for you, that's meditation because it lets you know what is important to you and recognizing and labeling things. Oh, this is where this is coming from. This, you know what I mean? But for some, it may not be that. And that's okay. If you're not there, do not shame yourself because again, it's, I'll say that a million times, don't shame yourself and give yourself grace, but just know that everyone is going to have different things that supports them. Right. And also I've, I look back now in different stages of my life, different things help me. And yes. some that used to help me don't at all anymore. And that's okay. Yeah. So the reason we share all these random tools, like when we're bringing on a bunch of guests is because for, there's so many things for you to try to see, Oh, Hey, maybe this will work in my life. Maybe I resonate with their story and they've done this and they kind of think like I do. Maybe I could try this. doesn't mean it's going to be this end all be all or this fix, but just showing you that the variation and things that you can use that people would consider healing that maybe you haven't before, right? It's not always textbook. It's not always research. It's what works for you. Yeah. That, that self-awareness. I'm so glad you mentioned that kind of (laughs) trigger warning almost for, for trauma survivors. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the, one of the conversations that I did listen to on the waking up app was about meditation practice for, you know, a trauma-informed practice. Mm -hmm. So he brought on someone to have that conversation. It's a really good one. I will try to send that one to you um, afterwards so you can link it, but it's someone who specializes in this. And it is a really important kind of PSA to listen to your body as you start meditating. Same Mm -hmm. way as you start exercising. If an exercise feels awful and all your joints creak, like maybe not, right? It doesn't mean all exercise is bad for you. Like you said, maybe uh, yoga practice, maybe something else will resonate more clearly. Mm -hmm. Um, Like you said, felt safety, so important. If you don't feel safe, doesn't mean it's not for you ever. It can mean take a break. It can mean try it another time. It can mean try mm-hmm. something else. Yep. Um, yeah. So it's, it's really listening to, to what works for you and, and not necessarily jumping on the bad wagon of someone saying that worked for me. I feel like we see this all the time right now, especially in a very social media world. It's like mm-hmm. everything from like, these jeans are the best jeans. And then you buy them and then you're like, what? Like, this is so uncomfortable, right? The influencer um, culture. A hundred percent. Right. Yes. And it's not that you can't discover something amazing or connect mm-hmm. to someone. It's just that, I mean, we've all spent money on stuff that we shouldn't because we thought that would be the solution. <laughs> I, do you know how many pillows I bought for my neck? <laughs> I could buy, yep. I don't know. I could put a down payment on a house in Iowa with those, that pillow money, uh, not in Toronto though. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, it's just like something that works for someone else, physical, emotional, spiritual can be a hundred percent true and authentic and work for them mm-hmm. and not work for you. So not being afraid to try, um, not being afraid to listen to yourself is just so crucial mm-hmm. in every way. Yeah. Cause you're the expert on you. Like yeah. if anyone, if anyone comes in saying that they're the expert over what you need, what you, what you should do all. And I know sometimes I catch myself saying should, but you know, it's, it's really needs to be you led, especially as you're recovering from trauma. 
recognizing that you have the power and you have the autonomy here. And, you know, I, even in my coaching, I'll say, you know, this is the framework that I suggest and what I've seen in the research and all this stuff. And like, I talk about balancing in all areas of your life, the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. However, you decide what that means to you. Right. So it's just balancing different aspects of your life. And even then, if that doesn't vibe with you and say, Hey, Taylor, that doesn't vibe with me. And I'm like, okay, so we'll move on to something else. Right. And someone who is beneficial to work with, or, you know, just in your healing or whatever should be able to allow that. And that is a, should I am going to say, because there are certain ways that practitioners should be trained in understanding trauma in the brain. And that's unfortunately not the case just because someone's a therapist, just because someone is a mental health professional or anything, even a life coach, whatever, it does not mean that they are always trauma sensitive. And so that is when you have to be able to look out for yourself and understand what you know, but the things to look out for are people who allow you the freedom to transform or do whatever you need for you. Because trauma almost takes away our agency. It took away our agency, whether that's for, for a minute or a day or a year or, you know, a decade, it Mm -hmm. takes your agency away. And it also really disrupts the reason people who have, you know, experienced trauma are so at risk for repeat of trauma is literally, it takes away our agency. We don't trust ourselves about what's good for us anymore. So like you're saying, where a practitioner makes room for you to go back to trusting yourself Mm -hmm. as hard and as scary as that is, because there's a part of you that's just a little kid that wants to trust a parent. Mm -hmm. Like we said, not happening again. Mm-hmm. Can't go there. <laughs> you got to trust yourself. You got to be your own sense of what's right for you. And that, I mean, this is, I feel like this is journey. Like that just sums it up. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I, we're all going there and we're, we seek out guides and support, but the scariest part of the whole thing is that we're the only ones there for us truly. Yeah. And the rest of our life, that's all that's guaranteed. That's all that's guaranteed. And, and that's, that's a scary, heavy thought, right? But at the same time, it is so empowering because that means that you get to make your decisions. You get to pour into you and you get to allow that to be your starting point and recognizing that above all, you're the only one guaranteed to be there. Yeah. Even, even people you're like, oh, you know, eventually people are going to die. Eventually you could lose contact with people. Even people who have been there forever in your life since day one, that does not necessarily mean they're going to be there your whole life. You're the yeah. only one. Yeah. It's hard. It's important. sobering, but yeah, it's hard. It's sobering for sure. But I mean, I feel like it's one of those things that facing it head on just yields a lot of, you know, relief and trust because mm-hmm. that's now you got to do it. Right. Like you, you have to. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's on you and it, you should be an active component in that. I mean, when I think of the neurological perspective, so you can just think of learning. It's like you do it for someone, they're going to learn to be reliant on them all the time. Okay. When you show them, they start to observe and they're getting curious. When you involve them, that is when the connections of learning are fully going to take place. Like it's, for me, I mean, I'm an occupational therapist mind, but think of like, I'm literally thinking of trying to get my five-year-old to put his pants I know, on right now. As right? <laughs> and it's, oh, it's not easy to just, cause you just want to do it for them, but what are they going to learn through that? Hey, if I protest enough, or if I can't do it, mom will just come in and save me every time. Right. And it's like, that's the phrase, like mama's boys come in. It's like, if you don't give your 
self, the autonomy to be able to do things for yourself and try and fail because that's how we learn, right? To allow that problem solving part to kick in, to allow yourself to figure out what you need specifically, because your trauma is as unique as you are, right? So it's going to look different for absolutely every person that just knowing that, that the best coaches and mentors are not the ones that do it for you. They're the ones that inspire you and guide you to think in certain ways, but they're not going to give you the answers. And that's exactly the philosophy that I preach is that, you know, I'm not going to sit here and come give you every direct answer in this podcast, even, you know, like we've left so many things open-ended here. It's to get you to think it's to get you to critically think, to apply. We're not going to say, this is it. This is the magic thing. This is, if someone says I have a cure, that, that does not work for everyone. It just doesn't, even if it's the most well-researched cutting edge, amazing thing that's worked for so many people, it is not going to work for everyone. It just won't. Yeah. It's yeah. I feel like that's so important that you're getting people just to hear different perspectives so that Mm -hmm. they can think about their own perspective and form their own perspective on whatever, you know, is going on in their life. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's the biggest gift you can give. That's, that's true overcoming. Yes, exactly. And it's, it's the recognizing of you and you have to be the one fighting for it. You have to be active. You have to be the one doing the stuff. No one else can do it for you. No one else can sit there and do all of this unlearning and relearning and setting up your managing your life the way you wanted to and getting vulnerable with yourself. No one can do that for you. And so many people in their lives will never get there. They just won't. It is hard. It is a very hard thing to look at your own stuff, look at your own life, go back to things, maybe reprocess things and still move forward and recognize you have control and it is your responsibility, how your life pans out. It's not to say that like unexpected things won't happen, but you always choose your reaction. Yeah. Always. You can get triggered. You can get whatever, but your actions are always your responsibility but it's what's wonderful is you can learn how to get control over that yeah and that is where the power and healing lies it really really is but it has to be your choice you can sign up for all the things you want in the world but I personally I can think of people who have signed up for things and haven't even watched the course or whatever it is like you can be like I'm paying for this I'm doing it but if you don't do the work it's you're not going to benefit from it yeah you're not hard truth for, yeah. for, for everything. Right. Yeah, for sure. So, mm-hmm. oh my goodness. Okay. You know me, I could talk forever and I love our conversations and we are very like-minded. My goodness. The vibes <laughs> on this podcast have been amazing. Um, okay. So for people who want to get in touch with you, who resonate with you, especially even like your copywriting stuff. Cause I feel like that is, it's a huge thing that a lot of us need support with. Where can they connect with you? Yeah. So, um, I am on a social media break this year but um, my, my Instagram posts uh, might be helpful to you if you are an entrepreneur, especially if you're working in mental and natural health. Um, I really get specific and just compassionate copywriting. Some people might call it trauma-informed, um, but it's just a general approach to viewing humans as people on their own journey and recognizing where your part is on your journey and then using that to help kind of strategize and communicate what you do for a living and often for your purpose Mm -hmm. um so uh if you look uh, aligned copy co on instagram um alignedcopyco.com 
I have a blog, a newsletter where I just kind of share and support, you know, natural and mental health providers who want to take this approach to growing their business and connecting with people. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you're from there, you're connecting via email still with people, right? Yes. Yes. So on Instagram, if you do message me, you'll get an automated response that'll have my email on my website. Um, and yeah, you can find my contact information on Instagram as well. Yes. Perfect. Well, I wish you so much luck in your social media break. I hope at some point in my life, I will get there. I've done small breaks, but just extended. I feel like that is going to be so beneficial and, you know, again, that's, that's your own awareness, recognizing what you need and then making a change. So, so that's true. Awesome. That's so awesome. It, I really was thinking about that. Cause you know, a couple people told me, oh, I wish I could do that too. Mm-hmm. I was like, if you really wish not, you yeah. think you wish because you're told that social media is yeah. awful for you. Like if you really wish, then like go you for can it. Make it happen. Yeah, yeah exactly. Absolutely. Right. If, if mm-hmm. you, if you're called to that and that feels good for you, mm-hmm. it goes back to the same thing. Yes. Like there is no, there's very little that's truly absolutely good or bad. It's, it's about Mm -hmm. listening to yourself. Absolutely. Love that. Perfect point to just end it on. (laughs) I love that. It's about listening to yourself. There's no good or bad. It is about you. Boom. Mic drop. That's, that's it. (laughs) Thank you, Taylor. (laughs) Thank you so much. Absolutely. And then everyone make sure you reach out to her if you're feeling drawn and want to connect with her and yeah, thanks for being here. Okay. Bye. We talked a little bit about my coaching program this episode. If you are interested, my coaching program will be open until March 1st, 2022. After that, I will be closing for new members. Anyone who signs up before that will have a slot. Um, But just so you know, registration links, everything can be on my Instagram bio at SOS with Dr. Taylor or survivorsovercomingsilence.com and click book now and all the information will be there. Feel free to reach out to me with any information and looking forward to supporting you. Did you like what you heard? Spread the word. Thank you so much for listening. Feel free to share, like, comment, write a review. Connect with us deeper on Instagram at SOS with Dr. Taylor. And all services are on my website at survivorsovercomingsilence.com. I am just so thrilled and honored to hold this space with you all, and thank you so much for listening. Mm